I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen. Human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot. Here's Kelly Davis wide open. Davis. Still going, and he's in for the touchdown. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter, at playlikeajet1. I want to break down the wide receivers and corners in this draft because those are two positions that are going to be very important for the New York Jets. And so I brought in somebody who is not only an expert on wide receivers and cornerbacks, having been a cornerback himself at the professional level, but he really knows the San Francisco 49ers, which means he has specific insight into which cornerbacks and which wide receivers would flourish in this offense and defense because he knows the Robert Sala defense very well and he knows the Shanahan offense very well. Now, obviously, we know that Mike LaFleur is going to run some sort of offshoot of that offense. So it's great to have Eric Crocker on. Eric, you are definitely the first person to ever be on the show who was an Arena League football champion. So thank you for coming on. <laughs> yeah, that's what's up. Yeah, I uh, won an Arena Bowl championship my last year in the AFL. And also former New York Jet. People forget about that. You were here in training camp. Yeah, I was there in 2013. I was there pretty much the entire offseason. Um, I was there a little bit, you know, even longer than that. Uh Unique experience. I actually, when I got let go, uh, we were getting ready for a game and Joe McKnight had a concussion. Chris Ivory had some ankle injury and Brian Winters had an ankle injury and they had to release someone to create space to sign people for those positions. And, you know, me being at the bottom of the totem pole, I was one of the first to go. So that was unfortunate, but you, at that level, you kind of understand it's just a business. Yeah, no question about it, although I'm sure you've got plenty of fun stories about dealing with characters like Rex Ryan, right? <laughs> Rex was amazing. I think that's the best coach I've ever been around. Yeah, he had that effect on people. Is somebody that everybody that played for him has said they would run through a wall for him because that was just the type of energy that he brought, right? Oh, man. he. I remember uh, when we had reported for training camp, he told this story about, like, it was something about a fight and how like he was willing to do it all on his own and how he wanted everybody to have his back. And like, that was like something about that fight was going to set the tone for training camp. And I mean, it was like passionate. Like he had, he had like tears in his eyes, like everybody was ready to go. Yeah. So he, 
on top of the X's and O's, on top of being a, a great player's coach, I think he was also a master motivator and an amazing teacher. Um, he was extremely well-rounded. I know he comes off a certain way on TV, um, but I think a lot of that is him talking like that because he wants his players to know that he has their back and they can do anything if they all like work together. So that's kind of his thing. He just kind of leads it to where it's like, all right, I just, I'm go out here and I'm going to say these crazy things. I need y'all to have my back. And that was kind of his personality. One position that we know he valued a lot was cornerback, especially because he had one of the greatest cornerbacks of all time, Darrell Revis. Then they made other investments, drafted Kyle Wilson in the first round. Unfortunately, that didn't work out so well. He ended up going out and getting Antonio Cromartie in a trade. Him and Mike Tannenbaum did that. Cromartie was good here at times, bad here at times. But it's a position that he valued, and it's a position most teams value very highly because I think you could make a legitimate case that it is the second or third most important position on the football field. And so, Eric, I want to talk about the top guys at the position. Me, personally, I have it broken down in tiers, and the top tier for me is J.C. Horn, Greg Newsom from Northwestern, Caleb Farley, and Patrick Sertan II. Now, Caleb Farley's an interesting case here because he opted out this past season and also he just had back surgery. So you have to weigh that into the decision. But if you just look at his tape, I think he's the second best corner in the draft. The first best corner who I've been banging the drum about since about October of last year is J.C. Horn. And I was glad to see that you agree with me because you have J.C. Horn as your top cornerback. Before we get into the rest of these guys, tell me what sets J.C. Horn apart for you. Oh, man, I love J.C. Horn. I, I think the thing, and I, uh, real quick, I like how you broke that down in tiers. I think I'm going to start doing that. Instead of doing, like, rankings, because I usually like a certain amount of guys in, like, a certain group. I like the tiers idea. But with, with J.C. Horn, I think what makes him so much different is, obviously, I mean, you know, he has a, the size, right? 6'1", 205 pounds. Um, he has athletic ability, right? He's a freak athlete running the four threes. Um, jumped out the, the building. His broad jump was crazy, right? So he's he's explosive. Um, in that matter, but um, you know, I think his his mindset and his chippiness, his scrappiness, his confidence, um, his willing to kind of go above and beyond even things that he's not asked to do. I think that's a lot. A lot of that makes him different. Like there, there are guys that are just talented, and then there are other guys who just kind of like take that to the next level, and everything is just like the ultimate challenge to them, and everything means so much to them. And I think with J.C. Horn. That's really what jumped off to me, where every everything, every play, every battle meant so much to him. And he took it upon himself to take on a lot of challenges. You know, a lot of people see that Seth Williams game and how he, you know, you know, really, I mean, it was a, one of the better games I've seen from a, a you know, a collegiate quarter cornerback. And he took on the challenge of guarding Seth Williams. Like, hey, like, you know, when they started the whole game plan, that wasn't part of the game plan. He said, no, I want to guard that guy. And he just pretty much erased him for most of the game. Now, Williams did have a good catch in the beginning of the game, but for most of the game, I mean, he made life tough on Seth Williams to where he, like, tapped out. That's the type of guy that J.C. Horn is, and I think that's those are the things that's going to make him special, right? Like, the things that you can't really quantify. Like, you know, we look at, you know, Richard Sherman. What makes Richard Sherman so great? You know, he's not the best of athletes, right? I mean, he's a good athlete, obviously, but – He's not like this freakish athlete, but there's something else that makes somebody end up being as great as they are. Tom Brady, like what makes Tom Brady so great? You know, and when you look at J.C. Horn, 
I think he has something different going on in his head that just, to me, is what's going to set, uh, set him apart from some of the other guys in this class. I was curious if you agree with my assessment of Horn in that he's really good at just about everything. He checks so many boxes because he's physically a freak. We saw what he did at his pro day. He's got size. He's got speed. He's got strength. He can play physical. Great instincts. Always knows where the ball is. Tremendous in man coverage. I just don't see a lot of weaknesses there. Yeah, I would say maybe, you know, the one thing that most people will mention is maybe he's not as sudden or twitchy. I think there's definitely enough twitch, especially for somebody of his size. Typically, when you are, you know, the 6'1", 205 guy, you're not going to move like a, you know, 5'10", 180-pound guy. You know, your change of direction is not going to be as great. But I think with me, watching him and kind of reading between the lines, more times than not, he was good from that standpoint. I watched him challenge himself off in space um, with his feet, and he did a really good job of reacting that way. I think that, you know, he had a tough matchup against – uh, Devontae Smith, who I think the world of. I think, you know, he's probably my favorite receiver out of the last two classes combined. So, you know, I think the world of him. And, you know, you can see J.C. Horn kind of having a tough time with him, but still kind of battling. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, I thought, you know, most guys he didn't really have, you know, issues with no matter where he lined up. You know, there were games where he would line up in a slot, line up in a slot against Elijah Moore. Now, they, they called him phantom pass interference down the field. But I thought it was terrific coverage. Um, you know, challenge him on the slant. There were some other places, too, where he just was lined up in the slot and guarding him extremely well. So I, I like his versatility, um, but I think if if I could point out one thing that at least most people would point out, they'd say, well, he's not as twitchy or as sudden as, you know, some of the other guys. I think it's, I think it's definitely good enough. Let's talk a little bit about the guy that I have at number two, and I think you do, too, Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. Now, I mentioned before the issues here. He opted out this past year, so you're looking at tape from two years ago, plus he's had the injuries. The ACL, which isn't as concerning as the back surgery, which is the same back surgery that Tiger Woods had that really took him down a notch for a while. That's really my concern with Farley, but as far as him on the field, he is fantastic. I would think that if it wasn't for the injuries, he'd be pretty much a guaranteed top 10 pick. Tell me about what you saw on film and with the injuries, unless the doctors are so scared that they tell you to be completely out, if they're reasonably confident, if he slides to 23 or even 34, if you're the Jets, what do you think? Does he fit well with that Robert Sala system? Yeah, I actually think he's like tailor-made for the Robert Sala um, defense. And, and that just depends on what Sala like does. He, and I'll, I'll get into Farley, but real quick about the scheme. Salah started off as more of a single high that, you know, Seattle scheme, cover three type defense, guys at the line of scrimmage. And as he kind of went on with the 49ers, you could see him kind of transition into more of a two high team. Now, I don't know if that was more so because of the personnel. You know, obviously there are a lot of guys injured and you could see him making those adjustments. But, um, you know, he kind of went to where he was way more scheme versatile towards the end of it. So I'm interested to see what type of cornerbacks that he wants now. Originally, it was the guys that looked like, you know, uh, Richard Sherman. Um, also had, you know, like a Keller Witherspoon, who's a 6'3", 200-pound corner. Dante Johnson, you know, those type of guys. And then towards the end, if you watch, you know, there were more of guys that looked like Jason Verrett, you know, who's a more smaller, a much smaller corner playing on the outside. Um, you know, Emmanuel Mosley, he's like a 5'11", 185-pound guy. So there was kind of this little transition going on. 
I don't know if that just happened to be him saying, well, I just want to get the best guys I can get, or if that was him moving away from the physical press guys a little more. Now, when it comes to Farley, I think just because of his skill set, he's able to do both. He's able to play at the line of scrimmage. He's able to play off. I do think that he can be a little better and more consistent at the line of scrimmage, but it also was something that he just wasn't asked to do a whole lot. So I think that's the part with him where he he can really improve and get more comfortable and not just playing press. I mean, just other aspects of his game too. I, I think he relied a whole lot on just his pure athleticism, which jumped out. I mean, he he's a freak. You can see that mm-hmm. right away. But I, I could tell like sometimes where he just had bad eyes or maybe sometimes where his feet got stuck in the ground and he didn't transition out of his break very well. But then I see other times where he explodes out of his break as fast as anybody I've ever seen. So um, there's a lot to like about Caleb Farley. Um, I still think there's a little bit of it. And I hate when people kind of throw this word around because I think sometimes people use it and it's not like correct, but there is still a little bit of rawness to his game as a cornerback. Um, some certain areas where I feel like he can improve on. And if he does that, I mean, we're talking about, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the top corner in the league in a few years, you know, but uh, as of right now, I think there's some things to work on. And then you talked about, you know, the injuries. And typically when I do my film study, I don't, I don't focus too much on, you know, like the injuries. I focus more on like what my notes, just like what the film says, but you can't help but kind of take into account some of the injuries that he's had and dealing with back injury and all these different things. And he's missed a lot of time. I mean, he's just had back surgery and he didn't even play this year. So I'm like, I'm thinking like, and that's the thing, like nobody's really talking about. They talk about the injury, but they don't talk about the fact that, Hey, he didn't even play this year. Like how did this injury come about? And I don't know the answer to that, but, um, and I don't even think I've asked it like on Twitter or anything, but um, I'd be really worried. And you talked about, you know, maybe wanting him in, you know, in the, you know, the 20, uh, range or, you know, maybe even early second round. I'm kind of scared of Caleb Farley. And again, I know he's this physical freak and maybe it could be nothing, right? We saw, I think it was, you know, Miles Jack. Miles Jack had a bad knee injury and it was supposed to be real bad, dropped him down to the second round. Next thing you know, he ended up being one of the best linebackers in the league, right? Had a great year last year as well. Jacksonville just kind of sucked, so nobody really paid attention. Um, you know, uh, uh, Jalen Smith, he's another guy, right? That was supposed to be like a sh- for sure top 10 pick. Had the whole knee injury, had the whole drop foot thing. He lasted second round. Early on, he looked really good. So, you know, there are just certain things uh, where, you know, I, I just don't know. And like you said, it's probably going to depend more on the, the the doctors. But I would say the, the back injury thing definitely scares me a little bit. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. 
Patrick Sertan is the one who is identified before the season as the likely top cornerback to go off the board. Now, I think because of the pro day and his stock going up, it's very possible that Horn ends up being that guy. But Sertan is probably going to be the second cornerback off the board at worst because, as we said with Farley, I think the injuries are going to scare some people. Tell me about Sertan. What do you like about him? Oh, man. Um, I, I think the, the the one thing that jumped out right away with, with Sertan, and I think most people would say this, is he looks and plays like somebody whose dad probably played in the NFL <laughs> and had been working with him <laughs> from as a kid, kind of refining his – Technique and stuff. And not only his dad, right? I mean, his dad, obviously, baller in the NFL, Patrick Sertain Sr. But also, he, you know, he worked with a guy, Chad, Chad Wilson, who played Division One football. I want to say he maybe had a short stand in the NFL. Not sure. But he also has two sons in the NFL. Well, Chad Wilson was his coach. And his, Chad Wilson, matter of fact, Chad Wilson, his son played for the Jets, Quincy, Quincy Wilson mm-hmm. from Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but his – so his dad was – Sertain's coach in, in high school. So not only did he have Sertain's, you know, senior working with him and all those things, but he also had a great position coach in high school as well. And then obviously that carries over to Alabama. But I think that where it helped him out the most was just his technique more times than not is just on point. Like he's one of the most patient corners I've seen at the line of scrimmage. He's rarely, if ever, out of position. And there's not a lot of guys that you can say that about. You know, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm very encouraged by a lot of what I've seen from, from him from a technical standpoint. You know, and like if, if Farley had his technique, if he had Sertain's technique, we'd be talking about, man, this guy should be going top three. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm someone that wouldn't really take corners that high, but, uh, you know, I think Sertain has that type of ability. Now, where Sertain can improve, and I don't even want to say where he can improve, but where I kind of have certain questions or issues is not the speed. I think most people think that they're seeing like a lack of speed with certain, but for me, it was more so a lack of like twitch and suddenness. I think that's where he may run into some issues with a different style of receiver. Now, maybe he doesn't, right? Maybe his technique is just so great that it helps him against those type of guys. But I would say if there were one thing that kind of worried me a little bit about certain, I would say that, it would be, I wish he had just a little bit more suddenness and twitchiness. And like I said, when you're that big, 6'2", 208 pounds, you're typically not going to be the most twitchy or sudden guy. But with even with like J.C. Horn, where it's it's solid for his size, I wish that Sertain uh, was a little bit more there with it. And, and that would be a little more acceptable. But for the most part, he's fine. And if he's the first corner taken off the board, I wouldn't be at all surprised. I like your description of him as though he was basically bred for this the same way that the Bosa brothers were because we know their father was an NFL player and he groomed them to be what they became. Both had tremendous technique and we've seen the success that they've had in the NFL. So certainly he would be a safe pick there. Another guy who has clearly been brought up to become a cornerback because his father was also a cornerback in the NFL and also a cornerback who gave the Jets problems because Patrick Sr. was obviously a nemesis for the Jets for a long time playing for the Miami Dolphins. Is Asante Samuel Jr., his father, Asante Samuel Sr., used to torture the Jets as a member of the New England Patriots. The one thing I worry about with him 
is that at 5'10", 180 pounds, I'm not sure that he becomes more than a slot cornerback in the NFL. What do you think? Could he play the outside and be as effective, or are we looking at somebody who can be a slot corner, but a really good one, don't get me wrong, but that that's going to be his primary area? Yeah, you know, when I was watching his film, those are the same questions that I wanted to answer, right? And, um, you know, I'm watching him early on. I Actually, the first games I watched was him in 2019 against Clemson. And I'm like, man... Okay, they play him only to the field. They play him off. And then when he, when he, when they got inside the 10, they would take him out. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Did do some reps when they went man, but he would play in like the slot. And I'm like, man, everything that they're telling me with this guy right now is that he's a nickel at the next level. But I continued to watch and, um, you know, other games, whether it was 2019 or um, I got into some 2020 film against like North Carolina and stuff. And I noticed. Like, nah, this dude, he can play wherever you need him to play. So if you want to play him on the outside, great. I definitely think he can play there. He has this different level of, like, scrappiness and um, ability. I'd say he's probably, out of all the corners I've seen, he's probably the best tackling corner, um, which I don't put, like, a high priority on it, but I definitely note somebody that's more willing to go out of their way to make tackles. I thought he definitely did that. Um, so, you know, when you think about him as a nickel, I think definitely he has the capabilities of being that type of guy. I think his feet are good. I think he did a good job playing the ball. I thought he did a good job with his anticipation. I thought when he was playing off, whether it was outside or in a nickel, I thought he did a good job in space challenging his feet. And sometimes even if he wasn't able to anticipate, he still was able to react with his feet and put himself in position to make a play. And, and I think that's, that's really good right there when you can do that because like certain. I think Sertain has to anticipate a little bit more, you know, to be able, to be in position to make a play on the ball, and which he, he does a really good job of that. But if Sertain doesn't anticipate, I don't think he reacts quick enough with his feet to be able to make a play on the ball. I think he moves a little bit more at one speed. When you watch uh, when you watch uh, uh, um, the the Florida State kid Asante Samuel Jr. When he's in off coverage, I saw plenty of times where, you know, he's just kind of playing off in space, challenging himself and still being able to turn, squeeze, make the play on the ball and do those type of things. So I was really encouraged. And I, I walked away thinking, nah, he, you know, he doesn't have the size of some of these other guys at the top, but he definitely has the ability to fit any scheme and play wherever you want to play on that. I have him just behind that first four group that I talked about before. I like him a lot as a possibility if somehow he makes it to number 34. But one guy that I like at number 23, if he's there, is Greg Newsom from Northwestern. At first, I wasn't sold on him. But then the more and more tape I watched, I really started to like him to the point where, as I said, if he's there at 23, I would jump on it. What do you think about Newsom? Because he hasn't gotten talked about as much as the other four guys that we've mentioned so far, but I think he has the potential to be an excellent cornerback in the NFL. You know, with Newsom, I was kind of late to the party um, watching him. I got a hold of some of his film a little bit later in the process, and I would say that probably was, I thought he probably had the best all-around film that I saw. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I walked away thinking, hey, this guy is the most scheme versatile corner in this class. You know, I talked about Sante Samuel being that type of guy. I think, you know, with Newsom, you're getting that similar capability, but in a more athletic and bigger profile. Um, somebody that's six foot, you know, 190 something pounds, ran in the four threes, um, you know, on film. I thought, you know, Northwestern did a good job of really showcasing everything that he can do, whether it's 
playing press, I thought he was really solid there, really good. I thought from off coverage, again, I really like, like to see does a guy challenge himself in space or is he just going to, you know, play a little more safe and, you know, just keep things in front of him. I thought he challenged himself well. His transitioning was really good from off coverage uh, on double moves where he was able to, you know, uh, transition his feet from a stop to a go and still make plays on the ball. I thought he had played with a lot of confidence and a lot of grit. He really reminded me a lot of um, – Jair Alexander, and that was the comparison I have for him. Now, now when I when I do my my film breakdowns and evaluations, I don't I don't look at their height and their weight. I want the film to tell me who this guy is, and that goes for both sides of the ball, whether it's a receiver or a defensive back. Like I want all my notes to go based off of what I'm seeing on film, not anything that has to do with weight or height. And when I was watching him, I'm like, man, this guy. You know, it looks about 5'10", you know, 185 like that, pounds. That's what he plays like. And then come to find out he's six foot 190. I'm like, oh, he's shooting up my board, you know. <laughs> um, when you have that type of size and that type of capability to move like a smaller guy, move and play like a giant Alexander, you know, whether it's at the line of scrimmage or in the space, but then have the size of, you know, a Darius Slay. You know, and I think that's the type of corner that he can be at the next level. I, I really liked him a lot. I think the only thing that separates him from, like, uh, Sertain and Horn is not playing at Alabama <laughs> like mm-hmm. like uh, like Sir, like Sertain did, and with Horn maybe you know I have to find out the mindset you know does he have that mindset that makes Horn different? But and you know we're talking about tiers, he's definitely in that top tier in my opinion. Where mm-hmm. he he probably won't go as high as some of the other guys, and again he has some injuries and stuff, and I don't know about all that stuff. But if you know say my team right the 49ers pick say when we were picking at twelve. If they just picked Newsom at 12, I would be just as happy as if they picked any of the other guys there. I think he's I think he can be that good of a pro. I agree. I think he's going to be fantastic. I have the four guys at the top and then in my rankings at least I've got Asante Samuel Jr. on his own tier, the second tier, and then we get to the third tier and there's some interesting players. One name that has been sort of polarizing is Tyson Campbell from Georgia. What do you think about him? Yeah, so I'm actually finishing up my film evaluation of him. I'll probably be done tonight on it. But I will say what I've seen so far is he's kind of like, I don't want to say he's a poor man's Patrick Sertain, but he's kind of like, you know, a tier down version of Patrick Sertain, <laughs> if that makes sense. Where, I, again, one of the more patient guys that I've seen, um, I think he moves a lot like the bigger guys, even though he doesn't have exactly like their size. You know, he measured in at like 6'1", you know, 190 pounds. So he isn't like the, you know, the 6'2", 208-pound guy, but I think he moves a little bit more like that. But, I, I mean, I like him a lot. You know, I think uh, if, you, if you're out of range of the top-tier guys and you have a guy like Campbell there, you know, I, you know, late first, early second, I think those are probably that's probably around the range that he should go. I thought he did a terrific job, like in all the film that I watched, really challenging the receiver, challenging himself, and really competing. You know, I, you know, there's guys that are going to give up some plays and give us some catches. My thing is like, what does it look like? You know, are you competing? Are you in a position to make plays? You know, how's your technique on this? Did you have bad eyes? I'm looking at all those things, and I thought more times than not, he was pretty on point with everything that he was doing. You know, gave up a couple of plays, touchdowns to. Uh, uh, Kyle Pitts, who, you know, 6'6 guy out there on the outside. Um, Grimes from Florida, you know, 6'4 receiver who definitely plays above the rim. So he gave up two touchdowns to those guys. 
But I thought on both of them, I thought he competed extremely well throughout the route and everything looked good. They just made plays. So, you know, I look at it from that standpoint and, you know, obviously he ran well, you know, um, you know, body, everything is there. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot to like about Tyson Campbell. I like him late first, early second. I wouldn't mind taking him in that range. What about his teammate, Eric Stokes? Stokes, you know, again, I, I try not to look at too many things um, before watching the film. I did, however, no, when I was watching the film, I noted that I didn't feel like he played with like an, an explosiveness. And then come to find out, you know, he ran, uh, you know, a 10, 300 um, and was like 100 meter and 200 meter state champ in like Georgia. Right. So he possesses this type of speed and ability that I didn't think he played with. And what I mean by that is like, I felt like there were too many times in space or other where he just wasn't challenging himself, like from, a, from an ability standpoint. You know, um, a lot of guys, he played guys more like how I would, right? I was a guy that ran like, you know, in mid four or fives. And I thought he played as if he had four or five type speed, but it's like, no, did you run in the four twos? So I felt like he could have did a little bit better of not being so much upfield shoulder on guys or, you know, really being in a rush to get out of there and really challenge himself to take away everything underneath and trust that he has the speed to take, to be able to, you know, get in position to make a play down the field. Uh, so that was one thing that I would have really liked to see from him, um, just challenge himself a little bit more. And then the other thing was he kind of plays like this kind of, it looks, I guess it's not aesthetically pleasing. It's kind of like a hunched over a little bit. It's kind of, it's really hard to <laughs> explain, but he kind of looks like he's forcing himself to play a little bit lower um, and kind of hunched over a little bit more bent at like the waist than at the knees. And he kind of just plays like that throughout the play. So, I mean, that was another thing I just noted. I don't know if it has anything to do with anything. But um, that was just something that was, like, you know, a little interesting to see. But, yeah, he's another guy where I would say I probably would take Tyson Campbell over him. But, you know, uh, Stokes, I mean, he's a smooth guy. I think he has good feet. I, I just think he can challenge himself a little bit more. He gets that down, and then, especially with that ability, you know, he can be a steal, one of the steals of the draft. One player who's been talked about a lot in relation to the Jets possibly grabbing him in the second or even in the third round if he's still there, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce his name correctly, Ifiatu Melifonwu. I think that's how you say it. Something along those lines from Syracuse. Physical freak, six foot three, 215 pounds, and Syracuse has a lot of fans in the New York area, so there's a lot of overlap there, a lot of buzz with him. What do you think from watching his tape? Would he be a good fit here? And would you recommend picking him in that second, third round range if he's there? I think he fit. I think I would probably be a little bit more comfortable taking him in the third round. Mm -hmm. Now, he tested well, and obviously he has that type of body. I think uh, North Carolina did a good job of forcing him to play off, and, and he played press as well. I thought he did a good job there. Um, he's a little bit more lumbering with his movement skills, so he's not as twitched up as I, I, tip, I typically would like. But the one thing that really jumped out to me, without really evaluating a whole lot of his film, I've watched him against like other guys that I was watching, but I thought he he did a good job of, you know, really showcasing that he can play press, really showcasing that he can play off coverage, showing that you know he's he's just fine being able to transition in and out of his breaks. Like he did a good job there. Um, I thought he was a physical guy. There's one play where he just kind of like threw Diami Brown to the side and went in and made a tackle. And I I posted that play. I thought that was a uh, definitely a special play when it comes to trying to figure out what somebody's mindset is. So there's definitely things that like, I wish I could tell you more about them. 
um, than just kind of my initial overall review of him because I haven't really dug too deep into his film, but I've watched him enough against other guys to know that he's definitely a guy that can play. And I do think like probably more so just to what my initial thoughts of watching how he moves and stuff, maybe suit better suited to be in like that late day two type guy. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I, I like the way he, I like the way he plays and I like a lot of what he brings to the table. Nice versatility. Being able to play off. I really like, you know, if you're, if you're a bigger like that and you still can play off, I think that's a plus. And I thought he, that was one thing that he definitely has in his favor. Last player that I have on tier three. And remember people will hear tier three and think, wow, these are low down corners. No, it's because I separated it where I happen to have one player on tier two by himself. And that's Asante Samuel Jr. So tier three is sort of like tier two in a way. And that's Elijah Molden from Washington. He is somebody that I wonder about as well, though, size-wise, if he's going to be a slot corner in the NFL. I think he could be a really good slot corner, as we said with Asante Samuel Jr. Do you think that he's going to be primarily a slot corner? Or like Samuel, do you think that he can handle pretty much any assignment that's asked of him? Yeah, he he he's more of a slot. And the only reason why I say that is because I just didn't see him play outside at all, at least not in the films that I watched. Every film I watched, and there's some people I think that would say he's a safety. I didn't even see him playing safety. I just saw him playing down and in the slot. And I thought he did a good job there. I like his scrappiness. You know, I talked about Sante Samuel being that type of tackler. I thought he, too, was a guy that went out of his way to, you know, be aggressive uh, at the contact point. Did a really good job with that. I thought spot dropping, he did a really good job with his eyes and being able to uh, kind of – keep everything in front of him, but still attack uh, with aggressiveness coming down on the, on the ball or make, trying to make a play on the ball. I, I thought where he lacked a little bit was just that pure speed. You know, in the slot, you're typically not facing too many vertical routes, but I definitely saw where when he was beat, he was just beat and there was no catching up. Now, it didn't always bite him in the butt because just as a whole, Washington did a good job of trying to keep things in front of him. But that was one thing that I noticed where, like, he, he plays very well underneath. He plays well, uh, you know, on, like, initial routes. But when, when, when a guy is going vertical, I thought he kind of – you could see times where he's just beat and, and there is no catching up. So I don't know if he has that extra little, you know, burst. And that's why he might be better suited playing in, in the slot where he might not have to guard uh, as many vertical routes. Eric, lightning round. I'm going to throw a couple of names at you, and then I want you to also just throw out some names that I may not have mentioned that you might like or think are overhyped either way, one way or the other. Two guys that I like a lot who I think could be available later on, Paulson Adebo from Stanford, and I'm a big fan of Radarius Williams from Oklahoma State, who is Greedy Williams' brother. We've heard a lot about Sean Wade. He had a terrible season. There were people that thought that he could be a first-round pick. Now nobody really knows. Marco Wilson, who shined at times, but then everybody knows what he did, where he ended up costing his team a game and a chance to go to the Final Four. So that's somebody who I think could be a decent mid-round pick. What do you think of those guys and anybody else that you think is worth mentioning here in terms of possibilities for the Jets, maybe on day two or day three? Yeah, I think Marco Wilson, he, he made himself some money with the pro day and just uh, I would say just watching him on film, I didn't think he played with that same type of explosiveness. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, uh, w watching him, it, it kind of, nothing popped. Nothing popped, nothing jumped out to me mm -hmm. about him. You know, so that was the one thing where I was like, man, I, I would have a little bit of trouble because on top of nothing really popping and jumping out to me, I thought he 
uh, also didn't make enough plays for, for me. So I thought they did ask a lot of them where they would have him play on the outside. I saw him play sometimes in the slot. I saw him sometimes follow guys like Elijah Moore around. I thought they put a lot on his shoulders, but just still within the film that I watched, nothing jumped to where it's like, oh, nice twitch, nice break there. Um, I thought he shied away from contact a little bit. And what I mean by that, like, you know, I talked about Sante Samuel and some of these other guys going out of their way to get in on tackles. I didn't think he did that. So um, I'm a little weary of him, but he tested extremely well. So there's definitely some value there. And he's another one. I mean, I talked about uh, Quincy Wilson and, you know, uh, Sante, I mean, uh, Patrick Sertain being coached by uh, Chad Wilson. Well, well, that's that's Marco Wilson's dad. Mm-hmm. So he has a terrific dad uh, as a, you know, who's been there for him throughout this entire process. I think um, just getting him to be a little bit more explosive in and out of his breaks and challenging himself a little more, I think we'd see, um, you know, better film. I, I thought he was going to go back. So because he has all the ability, I thought he would go back and try to put together another year to where it, it's just better film. And, you know, he didn't do that. So that's Marco Wilson. Uh, uh, Debo. Um, I would say with Adebo, is he's a weird one for me because he's he's tight with his hips and, and his feet, but then it still kind of works for him. And I'll see times where he had nice good hip flips and stuff like that. When he got his butt kicked by Gabriel Davis, who kind of got him out there in space and challenged those feet and movement skills. And I thought Debo kind of failed <laughs> from that standpoint. But there were definitely plenty of other games where I could see, you know, him do good things and show like that his hips, even though they're tight and he's, he looks a little tight with his movement skills, that wouldn't be an issue. So we'll see. Kind of reminds me of uh, uh, the kid Johnson from uh, Utah last year who had a really good rookie year for the Chicago Bears at cornerback. Um, Sean Wade, he was someone who everybody was saying, oh, he's a great slot, he's a great slot, he's a great slot. And I remember thinking when I watched him, my thoughts were, no, this is an outside corner. Like This is a guy that should be playing on the outside. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that his – I thought he was good in the slot because of the guys that Ohio State faced. I didn't think those slot receivers that Ohio, uh, who they were playing against really challenged him. But when they did, they kicked his butt. Like, uh, you know, you see a guy like K.J. Hamler just – I mean, he had like an 80-yard touchdown on him or something like that. You know, like when he faced the good slots, I thought they gave him trouble. You watch him against uh, – uh, Moore, Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore was killing him, killing him. I'm like, no, he's not a slot. Like, he's an outside guy. But then he got on the outside this year, and it was really up and down. Somehow he like was like DB of the year or something. I don't, I, I don't know. How, I mean, whatever. But um, <laughs> he on the outside, he was really up and down. So I'm struggle a lot in the national championship game. Um, I just don't think that he has like the feet, the twitch, the suddenness to really be good on the outside. Then everybody's saying like, well, no, he's a better slot. And in my head, I'm like, dude, I've watched the slot field. I think, yeah, he can be fine there with certain matchups, but anybody that has any type of twist to them, they're going to give him problems. I just don't think he has the feet. So he struggled on the outside or was up and down. I, I thought the, the slot, he played well, if you just look at numbers, but just with how his – I didn't think that was an ideal spot for him. He might be better suited somebody that ends up playing safety. And we've seen, you know, a guy like um, Malcolm Jenkins make that transition at, from the same school from Ohio State where he was a cornerback and made the transition into being a safety. So uh, I, I think that those are kind of my thoughts on Sean Wade and why now, you know, you don't really hear as much about him. That hype has definitely kind of gone away, and, which is crazy because they were telling me he was going to be the number one corner <laughs> coming out this year.
Any other corners that we haven't mentioned that you think are worth considering for the Jets at some point? Well, I'd say overall, like the first person that kind of comes to, to mind is um, Elijah Griffin. Mm-hmm. Now, Elijah Griffin, he plays for USC. He's a cornerback at USC. And his dad, his dad just happens to be Warren G, the rapper Warren Regulators. G. Yeah, Regulators. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's Elijah Griffin's dad. I, I thought his film was good. I thought he did a lot of good stuff being able to play off, play press. He was really scrappy. He was really aggressive. He was really feisty. I think the thing that uh, kind of screwed him sometimes is he could be like, he can kind of get caught up a little bit in the moment of fighting with a receiver and just forget whatever his responsibility was, especially like in the run game. He gets so caught up just trying to like fight with a guy and is like, dude, you got to get off the block and go make that tackle. So um, I, I thought overall his film was good. He he's kind of under the radar definitely this year. He's somebody that could be a really legit, uh, you know, day three pick that I'd take a chance on. Uh, Keith Taylor, another guy from Pac-12, cornerback out of uh, Washington. Um, he's a taller, longer guy. Um, plays a little bit kind of like Kevin King from uh, Washington, and, and I'm not saying that because they went to the same school, but just a guy, you know, just that similar type of guy. Um, and oh, Kelvin Joseph. Now, Kelvin Joseph is someone that I think people would say should go day two. I think when you just look at how he's built and, and his measurables and, you know, his testing, he's definitely a day one or day two type guy from that standpoint, even with his abilities. I just thought his film, he's another guy, right? Like I talked to Mark, I talked about Marco Wilson, maybe, hey, maybe this guy should have went back and, and potentially played another year mm-hmm. um, to get really good film. I, I thought with Kelvin Joseph, he definitely showed some flashes, some good things on film. But overall, I think the thing that hurt his film the most was just his eyes were just terrible and terrible to the point where he'd be like getting out of, you know, like at the top of a route. And instead of breaking back on the receiver, like his eyes would get back to the quarterback and it would make him stop his feet. So there's a lot of times where he's just not in as tight of a position as you would like to see. Now, it didn't really bite him in the butt a whole lot because some some of those times they just threw the balls elsewhere. But those just little things that I picked up. Um, but there were other times where it did bite him in the butt, you know, maybe not reading two to one, uh, you know, and those type of things um, where, you know, it's just his eyes. His eyes were just so bad. But when he did it, like, right, and his eyes were good, he looked really good. He looked fluid. He looked smooth. Um, I thought against Alabama, he played extremely well. That was probably his best game. And, I mean, that's probably his toughest matchups that he could have. So the ability is all there with Kelvin Joseph. I could see a team taking him day two, early day two, and being like, all right, we're just going to bank on this talent and that our guys can coach him up. Now, he was a transfer from LSU. And why he transferred, I, you know, I don't know those things, the answer to that. But he's definitely someone that possesses a lot of talent, just has to clean up some things technique-wise, and I think he could be really good in the NFL. So, Eric, knowing the system the way that you do, the defensive system that Robert Sala uses, and as you said, though, it has changed. It's been fluid based on who's been injured and the personnel that he's had. If you were to take a look at the number 23 and number 34 picks, which cornerbacks would you be comfortable taking in those spots if they were available there? All right, 23. I think the first guy that comes to mind for, for me is probably Greg Newsom. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I don't know about the medical stuff, but if he's there at pick 23, that's somebody I'm really comfortable with. And then at pick 37, I think ideally I'd like to get Ty, uh, Tyson Campbell in that range if he doesn't go like late first round. There you go. A look at the cornerbacks as comprehensive as you can get 
with a man who knows cornerbacks as well as just about anybody, Eric Crocker. Eric, thanks so much for coming on. We're going to do another show about the wide receivers too because you've broken those down. But for those that want to check out your breakdowns on the corners and see everything you're doing because you've got so many things going on, let them know how they can check out what you're up to right now. Yeah, so like for the in-depth breakdowns, just go to my, my I have Patreon. So my Patreon account, patreon.com slash crocktalk. And I mean, they're, they're pretty in-depth uh, videos, really like, showing demonstrations of, you know, the good, the bad, like everything I said about Kelvin Joseph, like, you know, I show it in like a bunch of different examples on film. Um, so patreon.com slash crock talk, you can see a bunch of breakdowns. Um, I mean, I've done about seven receivers or so, and then I've done about 13, 14 cornerbacks, and I'm still going. So, um, and then there's also on there, I have like different little teach tape videos where I'll show like different technique things that makes, you know, that puts somebody in position to make a play. So I'll point those things out, slow it down, rewind it, all those things. Um, I have a podcast that's strictly for the Patreon members. Um, so, you know, and then we sometimes do film study together where, you know, we'll pick a player and we'll just watch film, you know, and I'll, I'll send out a Zoom, a Zoom link to all my patrons. Um, so, you know, it's definitely worth it um, being involved in that if, if you're somebody that's a, a junkie like me uh, when it comes to, you know, the, the football stuff. And then I also have my YouTube that I just started using, which is Croc Talk TV on YouTube. Please go subscribe. I just hit a thousand subscribers, so I'm excited about that. I just started using it like last week and wow. um, it's already catching the fire. But I just had a, a quarterback guy on there, my guy, uh, Greg Pinelli. He trains guys like uh, Josh Allen, you know, from Buffalo, uh, trains, um, uh, what's the guy's name? The, uh, Tyler Bray for Chicago, trains over 50, 60 quarterbacks in that area where he's living in California. So um, good stuff there. Him talking about some of the prospects and certain things, you know, on how Josh Allen got, you know, better and how he improved his accuracy and all that. So yeah, Crock Talk TV, I'll have a bunch of good stuff coming up, a bunch of, you know, NFL interviews and things like that. So make sure you guys check all that out. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Go check out everything Eric's doing. And I can't wait to talk to him about the wide receivers because he's got great insight on those guys. As he said, he's got videos up there. And if you want to join the Patreon, you can do that as well. And make sure that you're checking out everything we're doing at playlikeajet.com and our YouTube channel, Pace's Playbook, Kayla Pace's latest commentary on the Zach Wilson possibility, whether or not the Jets are going to pick him and whether it would be a good thing is up right now. Plus, you know, Luke Grant got his videos of breakdowns including one on the aforementioned Greg Newsom. Luke much like Eric and myself is a big fan of Greg Newsom. so check all that out and subscribe to our YouTube channel and if you haven't given us a five star review on iTunes yet if you could go ahead and do that for us really appreciate it easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing doesn't take you much time doesn't cost you any money but it goes a long way to help us out so if you could go ahead and do that for us we'd be quite grateful and for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content you know where to go that's play like a jet digital and play like a jet.com if you only have a 401k you're not getting the most for retirement wait what add a Robinhood ira on top then they'll boost it by three percent you can do that and if you transfer in any retirement account you get three percent on top of that is there a limit to the match no limit Robinhood gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any ira on the market sign up for Robinhood gold at robinhood.com boost by april 30th subscription fees apply investing involves risk three percent match requires gold for one year from first match must keep ira for five years match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions Robinhood financial llc member sipc